Hey everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about The Monster Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson, the second book in the Masquerade series. So let's agonize with the magic of books. So this is the second book, and I really, I could really feel that this was the second book in a series. The first book, it felt much tighter to me, it felt much cleaner. And even though I didn't know what was going on, known what was going on, like I couldn't tell you exactly what was going to happen, I knew most or parts of like what was happening. I could tell you the general thought. And this one, it just did not feel the same. I felt like there could have been so much more, but I just felt like there was half a book of filler and travel and talk and then half a book of good things that I liked. So uh, we have different perspectives in this book, you know, mainly from, uh, People who survived the first book, obviously, we have Bardo as our main one. We have perspectives from Aminata. We have perspectives from Zeyawa, sometimes from Sevier. And then we get some flashbacks of the uh, Oriati Mubo. And I liked them, but they didn't do as much for the story to me as I feel like they could have. Now, maybe you've just read better flashback series that just felt like they matched up more, and that's what was what it was. But these ones, while they had a clear tie-in, never felt that important to the story. Or they never felt like they were going to connect, even though they did. So, and then of course... I think I mentioned it in the other one, the first podcast uh, about traitor borrow Comrade, but sometimes they, he just uses a word and it throws me out of the story, such as uranium. Oh yeah, like we have the clarified and we have all these cool country names and these thoughts and bam, here's uranium or like, bam, here's futures on markets. Like what? Like, or cancer. Well, you have all these other weird names for things. Why not just make a new word that basically means like a cancer, but like for you, I don't know. Every time I read uranium though, especially it was like, oh yeah, that's, you could get uranium. I was like, out. Sorry. So this book just was a little tougher for me. So, but it, it was still good. His writing is still very, you know, good, very nice. It works. It flows. It's very descriptive without being overly descriptive. So those parts are all still good. I just felt like basically nothing happens in the first book. So the first half, excuse me, the first half of the book. So let's move on. Let me talk about some fun stuff that I did like. Let's talk. Let's talk really just quickly about the plot. We have a quick overview. Baru, after letting Tainhu die, is given her authority as a cryptarch. She chooses the name agonist they she meets with apparator and zayawa i don't think we know what her special name is but she they are there and they are given the chain the charge by hesychist and farrier or itinerant to go search out the cancreoth in the oriati mabo because no matter what we do against them you know, we can't inflate their money and pump it up because they're just too nice and good at helping each other. And so no matter what we do, we can't win them over. So they go out and search. Meanwhile, at the same time, uh, Tain Shear, uh, a member of the Navy, Ormsment, uh, on the ship, the Ormsment are under the command of Ormsment, decides to mutiny and that she has to kill Baru because Baru has been tainted by Cardine Fisher, the itinerant. And she will kill and sacrifice anyone to achieve her goal, which Tainshir thinks is to bring about the Falcresti Empire, whereas we know that Baru really doesn't want. So they are racing away from her the whole time, while Aminata is trying to follow. And it's funny, 
this was a good part. I like this, that Baru is trying to not start a war between the Oriati and the Falcrest because she doesn't want that. She wants to find the Cancrioth and get their society to collapse first or to be able to withstand the Falcresti indefinitely, right? And Aminata is also going around trying to stop the war from happening. But because of Tainshir and the mutiny, there's a lot of violence everywhere she goes. So a lot of people think that Baru's starting the war. And it was just fun seeing them. They're both trying to do the same thing. And they're both doing it from kind of different perspectives. So that's the plot, basically. We're traveling to certain islands to find people who might know where the Cancrioth are. To meet with them and figure out what their deal is. Why they either split off from the Mobo, the Oriati, or, you know, how they fit in. So the thing I did not like about Baru is that she was so resolved to let Tainhu die. Which, you know, was just a brilliant ending right and then i felt like the first half of the book she just didn't do anything there was a couple scenes where she did things one of them was so funny the buying and selling of futures of date plants and it was just funny it was it was her and her element again borrowing her element she went in she posed as a Fal- as a person saying hey i saw a falcresti agent let me look at your books make sure you're gonna pass they, oh you better here's some gold let me help you fix it kind of thing and then takes that to the other account and i was like hey you know see this oh look at these futures the nobody's coming in the falcresti are coming and then you know she's able to get some money get some information and then she can just like dump it and it'll go back to normal because once she's gone there won't be a pull on that money anymore and of course, she's attacked by Tain Shear, who starts blowing stuff up trying to get to her, and it causes an actual panic, and the price of dates skyrockets, and everything she was trying not to have happen happened. But that was a good scene because it was Baru in her element doing her things. She, just like when she was the Imperial Accountant of Arduin, this one she's dealing with money, she's seeing the pieces, and I felt like in this book we kind of just see her fall back on, well I'm the only one playing the game, you know, making the moves, and she learned this lesson in the last book that she has to account for everybody's actions, and I just uh, really wanted to love her more in this book, but we did not see her in her element for most of it. Now, we did see a couple of foreshadowing thoughts. That were very cool, and, you know, I look forward to seeing them be resolved later, but as of now, they weren't, and I want them to be. Mainly her uh, vision loss in her left side. And that was interesting because she's able to catch things that come in on her left side sometimes. Or like she knows somebody's there, but she can't see them. And then at one point, she actually starts to see again out of that eye when she's having a seizure. And we learn that her brain is basically separated. So her conscious mind basically kind of can't see out of her left eye, but kind of her unconscious can. It was interesting. And I was really hoping for something to that of that to pay off where like, Her left eye, or her unconscious being her intuition, kind of was like, bam, this is how it's going to be. And then she kind of just knows it, and then she goes with it, and it works out, or she kind of figures something out because of that. But no, it didn't work. I also really liked, uh, in the beginning of the book, that everyone is ridiculously confused that Tainhu is dead. That Baru let her die, even though she had the power to save her because... She knew that Tainhu wouldn't want to be kept in a prison, basically, and used as blackmail over Bardu. And so they're going through, and everyone's like, you killed her. How could you kill her? Like, you loved her. It's like, oh, you know, this people think what they think, and they have plates set out for her because they expect her to still be alive, and to kind of, here's how it's going to work. Now you're the hostage, and she has to do what we say. But because she doesn't have a hostage, 
Zayawa, who's also Cryptarch, and I did not. I thought she was going to not get the Cryptarchness because uh, Baru crushed it in Arduin. Uh, you know, Zayawa's there and Eperator. They team up because they don't trust Baru because Baru can do whatever she wants without having to worry about appeasing her boss. But we know that that's what she's going to do, so... If they had just been able to trust each other a little bit more, but they can't trust each other because they have too many hostages around each other, and they're so used to playing the game, they can't get over it. They can't get past it. So, let's see. Yeah, let's talk about Zay Yawa a couple times. She hates Bardo. She just kind of felt like to me she was kind of whining, and along with playing that game, she's always trying to plan to get rid of her. I did not feel a whole lot of addition to her chapters. I felt like it was just to explain things that could happen or maybe would be happening and that it was just kind of to show us things that Baru wouldn't know, of course, because they happened when she wasn't there. So did not super love her. Uh, Aperitor, yeah, he also uh, felt incredibly, incredibly whiny in this book to me. In the first book, he was kind of like, hey, I'm Aperitor. Or whatever how you say it. I do things and you just have to suffer for them and my power is here. And now he's like, oh, I'm such a whiner and oh, my hostage is, you know, on a boat this far away. And if the military gets purged, then he's going to die. And oh my gosh, he just, it felt like he never did anything except for like save his own skin. But he never like planned out unless it was with Zayawa. It felt like he was always just kind of like the help on her or the, hey, I've got this. And he doesn't even know what he has when he has Iraji, who is the Oriati, and, okay, extra spoilers for the end, he is part of the Kankriothri who was supposed to be, but he left. Um, he didn't even know that, so it's just like, how did you, why are you so, like, just, what's your forte? Like, what's your skill set? Like, Zetya was great at, like, hygiene and law, and, you know, she's she's gonna work the law to get you replaced, or to get you killed, or to get you maneuvered, and Bardu's going to accountant you to death. She will drain your assets, she'll flood your economy, she'll destroy you in a hundred ways, you know, financially before you even realize it. And, you know, what's a parador? He just, nothing. He's got a boat, but he doesn't ever use it to, like, attack them, or, like, just throw them overboard, because if he does, then his hostage will be killed, but it's just, ah. I'm sorry, I don't, did not especially love his character in this book. Uh, let's see, Aminata. This one, I think, is where Seth Dickinson really, he hit it out of the park with Aminata in this book. Where the first book, he really hit it out with Pardo. Aminata had a great arc. It's less of an arc because she knows who she is, but she had a great story to tell. Where she's in the military, she's torturing people for information, she doesn't like it. She finds out that Baru is potentially trying to start a war, and she has to go to war with her desires to see Baru and to save Baru, and her desires to do her duty. And so the whole book, she every time we get her perspective, she is you know fighting within herself. Well, is Bardo the one trying to start the war, or is there actually a mutiny? And she can't know because no one will tell her because no one you can't just come out and say, "Hey, I'm part of the mutiny," unless you know the person is going to join you because then you have to kill them if not, and that just causes more problems. And so, so her part, her story was great. It was. It was by honestly part of my favorite parts of the book was reading Aminata and trying to reconcile her desire between, you know, her duty to do her duty and her friendship slash more with Baru. And so it was great. Her friend her that her scenes amazing. I loved at the end. She has seen Baru. She knows that she thinks Baru's trying to start a war because of a signal, and then she realizes later, hey, maybe that signal was actually 
trying to tell me this other thing. But nobody can know because, of course, it all devolves into chaos because of Tainshir, who we're going to talk about next. But at the end, uh, Aminata decides, I'm going to stand with Bardo. We're going to say that Bardo's on the right side. And it's just like, yeah, do it. You you kick butt, Aminata. You rock. So let's talk about Tainshir for a second. Tainshir was Farrier's previous assistant. Slash, she was kind of what Bardo was in the past. And Tain Shear wants to kill Bardo, of course, because A, she's crazy, and B, uh, itinerant or farrier, kind of threw her away after she was corrupted. She just doesn't like, you know, she went off the rails, killed a bunch of people, and so she is out. But she's decided that because Tain Hu died, Bardo is an evil person and needs to die. So she chases her everywhere. It felt like she was a bit too powerful. I know she was itinerant's apprentice before, but that she really doesn't know anything about Bardo. So how would she know, you know, all these things? And so she kind of felt like a little bit of a plot device there where she's just like, oh, bam, like I'm going to do this and I'll meet you there and I'll catch you there. And I'm going to kill this group of spies and nobody will realize a thing because I'm so good at detecting spies, you know, and so parts of it was just like, uh, you know, but it, it wasn't bad. Just parts of it were. So the next thing, atmosphere, this world is super fleshed out, super real. It, the plan, the organization, the planning, everything was great. Uh, the flashbacks to the Oriati, while very informative and they show you know, the situation and the reasons leading up to what happened with Abdumasi and the prince and Kindala, I really did not feel like it was super necessary for me to understand all the beforehand. Parts of it were great, yes. Parts of it, I did not need. So that's it. Again, like I said earlier, I get thrown out every time the stupid word uranium is used in these books or cancer. Obviously, I don't get thrown out every time the word ship is used because ships are like a staple of fantasy. But generally in fantasy slash sci-fi, uh, they're not just like, oh, yeah, here's the uranium. And you're like, oh. You know, just a halting screech every time. Uh, again, okay, the pacing, parts were good, parts were bad. I felt it was really slow pacing until it was slow in spurts. It'd be slow, and then we'd have a fast little bit. And then it'd be slow, and then it'd have a fast little bit. Just, I, it felt very stop and go until about 75 to 80% of the way through. And then after that, I was like, okay, now we're in the go section. Now I can just, you know, it's it's not just action all the time, but it's good all the time, if that makes sense. Because I'm not only looking for the action to make me read, but like just the parts like, okay, they're in a boat and they're traveling and they're they're crying and they're talking and they're planning. And okay, now they're actually on an island and they're in their element doing stuff. And now they're not and blah, blah, blah. So the real question I had at the end of this book was, is magic real? Because this is the first time we've actually seen any kind of semblance of magic where... The Cancrioth exiles the prince from the trim. He, she cuts him out of trim. And they're all like, oh, look at her pretending to do magic. And him, you know, pretending to experience it. And then they're like, uh, you think this isn't real? Like, what do you think just pulled you? Yes, pulled you under this ocean shelf out of the water. And then this huge, like, bone whale. Or whale with bone coming out of it, like, comes up close under the water and then over. And it's got the same kind of cancer-like bone that this lady has. And it's like, okay. So the Cancrioth myth of, like, immortality and sharing consciousness slash control over things through cancer is real? Or it was just a really, really weird coincidence where you 
trained the whale to pull people really fast? I don't know. So I'm very confused about that. And I would really, really like to know if magic is real or not. Uh, Another thing I'm worried about is the clarified can deprogram themselves, apparently. If they, they know their word that they're not supposed to say, but if they can start saying it to themselves, they can reprogram themselves. Which, what's the point of a clarified of a perfect person who can do basically anything if they can just deprogram themselves and reprogram themselves, like this is a clear design fault, Hesychrist and Hesychrist, and you need to uh, fix that. But I send is great. Uh, the other parts were really great. I loved when she's meeting with the prince, and she's he's like, "Oh yeah, we'll talk, and then we'll go over. You can rescue us, then you can use your diplomatic flag to protect yourself and me." And he's like, oh, and by the way, I locked us in this room and we're sinking and the magic of trim is going to get us out if you're a good person and you're telling the truth. And if not, we're all going to die. And Barra's like, wait, wait, what? You uh, locked us in the, the ship that's sinking with no way to get out. And uh, by the way, Yudaji, who's here with us, he can't swim. And he's like, yeah, but it's trim. It'll get us out. You know, that's what we have to do. We have to form a connection. And it was great. That was another good scene where Baru is in kind of her element of being able to plan and process and like figure out a way to get through things. And those are the best parts of the book. That's where the strength lies. I really wish there was more of it. I am looking forward to more of it in the next book, Tyrant Baru Cormorant. So I really hope I see more of it. I hope I get some more answers. But again, it was a good book. It wasn't like my favorite, but it wasn't horrible. Uh, give it a solid three out of five. I would read it to continue on with the series, but I like to finish series. So uh, yeah, that's about it. And that's going to wrap up my discussion of Monster Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. Of course, if you have any questions, comments, you know, I should read whatever next, you know, send that to libromancypod at gmail.com. Sometimes you can find me on Twitter at libromancypod. And I've got a calendar up on the website at libromancy.podbean.com showing what books are coming up next in the coming months. You know, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And always remember to agonize with the magic of books.